Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to another episode of Rewatchability. It's the show where we rewatch movies and TV shows we haven't seen in a while to see how they hold up today. I'm J.M. McNabb. I'm joined, as always, by... Robert Larone. And Blaine Waters. And uh, we've got a very special episode for you this week. I know we say that every week. (laughs) And they usually end with crushing disappointment. But this week, this week... Okay, it's probably not going to be any different, but I I still think you should listen. Let's begin with crushing disappointment. Let's start that way. Yeah. And then we can only go up from there, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, no, I, I'm excited to, I think we'll have a good chat about the 2000 Robert Zemeckis chiller, What Lies Beneath. Ooh. It's probably just like a basement. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it has vodka in it. It's uh, Yeah, it was a big movie at the time, the year 2000. So it was 20 years ago, just I think last week. So there have been, you know, I've seen a few articles pop up. Maybe we'll talk about some of them, some retrospectives. People are commemorating the release of this movie. So I thought maybe we should take a look at it as well. Before we get to that, I do want to thank all of the people who donate at patreon.com slash rewatchability. They help keep the show going and get the show early and commercial free. And thank you so much to everyone that does that. Uh, I also should mention that we're an Entertainment One podcast, and they also help us out. I mean, we don't get to record there anymore because of the pandemic. Hey, yeah. But, you know. <laughs> what have you done for us lately? Well, I think they host the show still, and you know they could easily... 
destroy it if they wanted, <laughs> but they don't. So thank you. Well, let's talk about what lies beneath, because like I said, it was a it was a big hit movie for some reason <laughs> in two thousand. They didn't have let's Marvels. Start... <laughs> That's right. Before the Marvels and the the DCs, Blaine, what? When did you first see What Lies Beneath? Did you did you go see it in the theater? I don't know if I did. The only thing I remember from this movie is that bathtub scene because it was so it was so harrowing when I was uh, when I watched it the first time. I, I I must have gone to see it in the in the theater, but probably much later uh, after it'd been a while. This wasn't a movie that was like you saw the trailer and you're like I have to go see that opening night. Like Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford are a married couple on a boat. Like I need to go see them do nothing. That sounds great. Um, <laughs> uh, give it, a, give it a few years. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I remember this movie, and when you suggested it, I I did really want to see it because I remember it being pretty hokey. But then that one scene in the bathtub, I was like, that was such a good scene. From what I remember, her little toes trying to grab the the pl- plug or whatever. And so I was like, maybe there's more to it than I remember. Cause I was like, you know, a teenager and didn't appreciate mm. it. And then when I looked it up, I saw that it was Zemeckis and I, I love Zemeckis. So right. this, this has to be good. Yeah. He Look has, crushing he has a flawless again. track record. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that about every Robert Zemeckis movie since. What about you, Rob? When did you see it? I saw it, I think, shortly after it was released on the Movie Network. And I remember at the time, if you had the Movie Network, they would send you the guide still. It was like a printed guide with the listings of all the movies. And I really loved looking through the guide, uh, actually more than watching the Movie Network sometimes. (laughs) But I remember that they had like the full color, like spread of like the bathtub shot with the with the fingers over the rim, and I remember that being very striking. And I did see the movie. Um, I maybe I only caught the last part of it, but I do remember the bathtub scene and also just Harrison Ford's performance. I mean. Spoiler alert! He, I, I, is it okay to spoil the twist of the movie? Should we just like, well, anyway, well, the twist of the yeah, movie is we, what we're going to spoil me, it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just but, was surprised at how close a talker he was the entire goddamn movie. It's <laughs> like appears behind everyone all the time. Like, oh god, there. Yeah, that's the only way you can hear what he's saying. <laughs> he mumbles everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, but, I'm Harrison Ford. I mean, we're going to spoil the movie because we spoil every movie. We're going to talk about it. It's 20 years old. But That's the fair. movie, as we'll talk about, was spoiled by like the marketing. Like, <laughs> right, right. The trailer gives away almost everything. Well, unlike you guys, you guys who don't appreciate fine films, I did go see it in the cinema. Like opening night? Like, it wasn't opening night, but it was okay. like, you know, it was, there was a crowd. It okay. was pretty early on. I don't know why. I think there was just... <laughs> Wait, you don't know why there was a crowd or why you went to see it? No, I don't know. I, I think I just saw every movie, to be honest. But yeah. there was something in the air at that time. This was the year after The Sixth Sense had come out. Right. Mm-hmm. And and also a movie that I love that we should do sometime, Stir of Echoes, had come out the year before. Yeah, we so should th- definitely do Stir of Echoes. So there was this kind of sense of like, you know, a a an emergence of like a new American ghost story 
blockbuster style or not even style, but more that audiences were ready to embrace it in a big way. Cause this was a big movie. This made th- like $300 million at the box office. That's insane. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a movie essentially about like two middle-aged people plotting around their house. <laughs> And, and you know what? I appreciate that more now. Yeah. Like I, I was, you know, I watched the bathtub scenes, and I just think, like, that looks really nice. She's, she's comfy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's get into what actually happens in this movie, which I'm just going to say is not a lot. <laughs> it's a, a two-hour movie where nothing happens. Yeah. I. It's a I long feel like. Movie. I, I almost like called my brother-in-law, who's a physicist, and asked how it's possible that every time I paused this movie, there was seemed like there was forty minutes left. <laughs> like it, it seemed to defy time itself. It was so long. Okay, but Rob, what happened in this movie? Okay, I mean, it starts with a shot of some murky water, and you're like, "Hey, what lies beneath there?" <laughs> you might be thinking cocoons if you listened to last week's episode, but it's not. It's just Michelle Pfeiffer taking a bath, and she's daydreaming. She's having, like, these thoughts of this murky, you know, this murky water. There's something unsettling down there. And she is Claire Spencer. She is married to Harrison Ford, whose name is Norman Spencer. And they've got, like, a pretty good life for middle-aged people. Two big things is that they recently moved into a new house— a big thing and also their daughter is going away to college so that's a huge moment for them and in particular claire is having a bit of a hard time about it it seems that she's kind of like a fragile sort of person there's like a lot that seems to like throw her off pretty easily well it's it's not his daughter is it well we don't find that out until later i don't think okay sorry yeah i mean like this movie sort of is good at trickling out information for us because it it gives us this perfect picture at first and then we find out more. So like for example, Claire, she is thinking about her daughter and she sees like her old Juilliard shirt and then she gets feeling nostalgic so she goes down to the basement and starts looking through photo albums and we see all these photos of her life which sort of like are clues to like who she is, who are these people in these photos. There's a guy with like uh like some sort of like weird mullet and you're like who is this man we never find out (laughs) but what lies beneath two (laughs) the tale of mullet guy yeah but while she's down there she gets uh upset all these other photos spill out including one of a car that has been wrecked it's like a photo taken for insurance purposes and this sort of gets her upset and so she goes out <laughs> also why is she keeping like insurance photos in a memory book like, <laughs> like what it's like oh what a what a tender lovely memory i'll put beside my yeah, photo okay my first car accident <laughs> <laughs> uh, this album's baby photos slash auto wrecks so i know <laughs> <laughs> you can just label it under disasters. That's fine. Uh, oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> you can just, just label kidding. it under consequences from drinking. And- <laughs> <laughs> That's better. That's better. But while she's upset, she hears the neighbor next door crying. And so she goes and sort of asks to see what's up. And this woman is behind her fence. She can't really get to her. And she just says a bunch of mysterious stuff. That sounds like she's really terrified. And it sort of sounds like her husband is, you know, maybe going to murder her. It's like she's in a horror 
version of tool time or uh, <laughs> home improvement or whatever. You never see this woman's face talking behind yeah. the fence. <laughs> He's going to kill me. <laughs> Wilson Wilson behind there. But this coincides with like a bunch of other freaky stuff happening to her. Like there's all the freaky house shit, like lights flickering. And then like at one point, like the radio comes on and it's very spooky music playing. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds like she has a wiring problem and a front door lock that's faulty. It just <laughs> looks like home repairs are needed. That's all. This. Yeah, two hours with a contractor could have fixed everything. <laughs> yeah, two hours with a contractor and uh, just installing a shower head. <laughs> this movie would have been done. <laughs> yeah, but so she she tells Harrison Ford like, I think something has happened to this woman because she doesn't see him. And actually one night she is up because she's so anxious playing solitaire at night. Only person in the world to not play solitaire at the office. (laughs) And she happens to see through the window, the husband next door carrying something body shaped to his car. So that's suspicious. It's it's also like wrapped in plastic and then duct taped. Like, who does that for anything but a body? It's insane. <laughs> you get some really bad stains in, in that carpet, you know? Yeah, exactly. Spaghetti sauce. And I, I, I like the beginning of it. It's really slow, but I like the beginning because it's like, I love the, the suburban, what are our neighbors up to, the burbs kind of thing of it. For sure. I love that in a movie. And this seemed like kind of where that movie was going. Like, let's really tune into the neighbors. Mm-hmm. But then, then that goes away like half an hour in. Well, yeah, because she... But also, you you know, just in terms of the storytelling, like, you know it's not going to be the neighbors because, like you said, you see him carrying out what looks like a body. Like, I mean, in Rear Window, they didn't see Jimmy Stewart literally see, like, a guy <laughs> carrying a corpse out the door because... <laughs> That that would be, yeah. you know, I, I just mean like if if it it's was going to ultimately be them, you know it's a red herring, not just because you saw in the trailer that it totally was, but like it's so <laughs> obviously not going to be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it and it's so not that so fast in this movie that I, I just wanted more of the neighbor stuff because also that actress is really good. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Miranda Otto. Yeah. She's great. What's she from? And... Uh, she was in the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh. That's where I know from. And probably some other stuff. <laughs> yeah. And her husband is played by James Remar. Yes. He's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and that one of the funniest things in this movie is uh, she, because she starts getting nosy about them. Mm-hmm. And Harrison Ford doesn't want her to. He's like, you know, don't, don't, don't look into this. Don't embarrass me. <laughs> Stop asking questions about anything. <laughs> about anything. <laughs> and she goes poking around there with like a gift basket. Mm-hmm. And uh, she eventually gives it to James Remar, who's super creepy about it. Like, <laughs> like she's like, oh, no, welcome to the neighborhood. And he's like, I'm busy right now. <laughs> like, he's so dismissive and ominous. And then later that night, she sees him on his porch. Just like, it's not just that he simply threw out the gift baskets that she brought over. He, like, literally stands on his front porch and starts chucking everything that was in the gift basket in different directions in his yard. <laughs> like, the most dramatic. It was like a teenager wanting to make, like, a really big show of something yeah. you know it's so funny because he like walks out onto the de- onto the, his deck and then finds the light 
in order to do this. It's like, it's like, what? Yeah. Okay, he found the axe on the ground. Yeah. But then he takes, he takes like the bottle out of the basket too and goes throw it and goes, no, 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 no. This is for my dependencies. And then he walks back in. It's It's my murder juice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we find out that he's not the killer, but I'm pretty sure he is a killer, just not (laughs) of his wife. Because later, later, um, you know, after Harrison Ford has been like, hey, stop bothering me with this. I am really busy with my talk. They see the guy at at the college because he's a colleague and she freaks out. She goes right up to him and she makes a scene. She's like, ah, I know that you killed your wife and da da da. And everyone's turning and looking. And then the wife comes to his side. And it's, a, it's embarrassing when that happens, as you might know. You. You think you're smart, don't you? You think you got away with it? Well, I know you killed her, you murdering son of a bitch! Who? Don't give me that shit! Your wife! I'm sorry, she's very upset. I didn't kill my wife. Are you all right? I'm so tuned to like movies. I was like, it's not really the wife because we didn't see her. Yeah, we only saw her in flashes. So I think there is a murder. I think he did murder his wife. This woman is just asking the part. That's like That's a new. Yeah, wife. that should have been like the. <laughs> that should have been like the Marvel post credit scene where it's <laughs> right. just like cuts to that guy and it's like he totally killed his wife. I mean, this was written by a star of the Marvel movies, which we'll get into. Right. But yes. He could have kind of teed that up. One thing we skipped over is. A fantastic scene when she goes to visit Harrison Ford in the office to tell him all this. Right. And and she kind of like pauses to hover by two scientists who are t- – because <laughs> he's like a researcher. And they're developing this kind of chemical that like sedates people for like five to ten minutes. And it's, it's like, well, they live through it. And it's like, is it, does it just work on mice? Like, no, all mammals. And <laughs> Especially just wives. Like... <laughs> Nosy ones. Five to ten minutes, just long enough to drown in the bathtub. <laughs> but it was like it was like that scene from Wayne's World where like Chris Farley explains <laughs> everywhere the the record executive is going to be or like it, it felt like a video game where like your character can't move because they have to cut scene stay there yeah. and like yeah like listen to some piece of information it was so oh, bad yeah. it's like such a 90s holdover too because it's like there's there's two scientists you know they're both in the lab coat they're both performing experiments but the woman scientist goes how does things work and the male <laughs> scientist goes let me explain to you Honey, <laughs> he like launches into it. It's so stupid. It's so stupid on so many levels. And they're all smoking inside. And <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then she goes in and tells Harrison Ford everything that's going on. And okay, so like, she's telling him about the ghost stuff. She's telling him about the neighbor stuff. So okay, first of all, the neighbor thing is legitimately worrying. She she saw a man carrying a body shaped bag in the middle of the night and put it in his trunk. Like wife or not, that's suspicious. Yeah. Two, she thinks there's a ghost in their house. So she's either – like the best case scenario is she's being haunted. The worst case scenario is she's having some kind of mental breakdown. And then Harrison Ford's response to all of this is he's like, I get what's happening. This is all because of my research paper, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you don't want me to, to succeed, do you? Like <laughs> it's just the most like absurdly I, toxic reaction to everything she said. Yeah. 
I kind of, I don't know, I kind of get it a little bit. His, like, f- fragile male ego is just so thin that he's like, it's all about me and you hate me. <laughs> She's like, I'm I'm having a big crisis right now. <laughs> anyway, it was, it was, yeah, I get why that would be the the idea, but it was just so cartoony. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then she promptly, like, accuses that guy of uh, of murder. And then the, everything after that, like, they see that guy a few times, the James Remar character, and he's, like, super chill and friendly after that. <laughs> like, I, she could have gone after him and been like, look, like, I get that you didn't murder your wife, but what was with the gift basket thing? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that was psychotic. They I should just baskets. have, like, it's... <laughs> yeah, seen later in like a, a gift shop and him just being like, I hate all of this. <laughs> just throwing things off shelf. <laughs> My Crosses parents just... were killed by a gift basket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she still thinks there's a ghost because there's still creepy things happening. Like she has a seance with her friend Judy or Jody or whatever, and the candles flicker and the door creaks open, but it's just the dog. Um, but then something really freaky happens. The ghost communicates through the solitaire leaderboard. It starts putting like the initials repeatedly, M-E-F, M-E-F, M-E-F. And that's how you know it's a young ghost, because old ghosts don't know how to use computers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess that happens before she accuses the uh, the guy, because that's she guesses that's the initials for the neighbor. Right. Because her initials are MF. Doesn't check about the middle name. No. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Not thorough. Not thorough. Can I, can I pause here to say how disappointed I was that this was a ghost story? Like, I remember it. I remember the tub thing. I remember, like, parts of it. I totally forgot that it was a ghost at all. You thought it was, like, a hygiene film (laughs) about bathing? It's prescient. No, I I thought that it was, like, he was kind of poisoning her with something from work. Like, I remembered that much. And, like, Mm -hmm. that was part of, like, that she knew about the killing, but he was trying to, like, create amnesia with it, which is actually, you know, it's in the film. But... I was just so disappointed that it was actually ghosts because it seemed like the guy with the carrying the body to his trunk and throwing out the gift basket. It just seemed too like easy. And yeah. Too, like I wanted it to be something. I wanted it to be all Harrison Ford in the end somehow. Well, I mean, and that would have made a good film. I feel. What we find out is that she like she has all these memories that she doesn't have. There's like this, you know, after her accident the year before, there are things that she isn't quite clear about, including we find out that her husband had an affair with a student. So she like goes to see that person's mom and sort of asks about her. And Harrison Ford is still trickle truthing her being like, Oh yeah, she was a student of mine, but she disappeared. And you know, I don't know anything about it. But then They sort of go to the town where the friend told her that she saw him and the girl, which is this town called Adamant, uh, named after Adam Ant. And (laughs) (laughs) I thought it's where Wolverine got his claws, but uh, maybe could be be wrong. (laughs) And she manages to get them there and she sees the sort of um, earlier she found this key in a grate. And she sees the same symbol on the key. It's this giant thing in front of the box and key store. And so she knows that that's part of the thing. And so she starts figuring this out. And this is a big part of the mystery because there's like this box at the bottom of their dock in the lake. And she dives into it. 
Yeah, this is when, like, isn't this after she gets possessed for the first time? Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about that. Because when she figures out that Harrison Ford had the affair with this girl, she... Oh, no, not even... not even. He hasn't, she hasn't even figured out the affair part. She figures out that the ghost is this missing girl because, right. because there was an article about her, coincidentally, on the back of a newspaper clipping about Harrison Ford's dad or something that was in the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Who put so that she, there? <laughs> Yeah, it's, so I guess it's just so weird. few news items happen in that town that it's they're bound to line up eventually, the two people. But so she goes to like the house and gets a lock of hair from the the missing woman because like the the kooky best friend character gave her like a like a legit witchcraft book. Yeah. <laughs> well, like also how creepy is stealing a lock of this woman's dead daughter's hair. I don't find it creepy. Yeah, it just had to be a possession. <laughs> like, she could have stolen, like, an ashtray. <laughs> like, anything that maybe the mother wouldn't dearly miss? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like a toothbrush or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything. One one sock, you know? <laughs> Socks yeah. go missing all the time. Just fuck. Ugh. Yeah, that's how she could have freed uh, the house elf. That's... Uh, <laughs> That was a bad joke. <laughs> also, J.K. Uh, Rowling's been canceled, oh, okay. so let's not even joke about that. Yeah. yeah, but so then she kind of, it was like accidentally gets possessed, right? Because she does this kind of spell to summon the ghost with the hair from the from the the uh, Necronomicon type book that her friend <laughs> dropped off one day, and then yeah. she gets possessed. And well, uh, her eyes change color, which is how we know she's change. possessed. But she acts it. So we don't we don't need that eye eye color change because she acts it really well actually. Oh. Here. Take it easy, huh? What's got into you? Ow! What's the matter? Since when? She also puts on this kind of red flowing dress and she asks Harrison Ford if he's the key master. <laughs> <laughs> she has a key. She has a key. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, but she he freaks out and like pushes her off when she says that, you know, aren't you afraid your wife will come over or something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's about to stab him too with a letter opener. During coitus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I said that word but that's yeah that's when michelle pfeiffer i guess when she kind of comes out of it and she realizes she repressed all these memories or or forgot them because of the car accident that followed that she walked in on the affair this is is a complicated movie i just watched this like a few hours ago and i feel like i'm her character trying to piece together (laughs) memories from years ago like it's just so long and nothing everything that happens is the same thing just like over and over again like she gets possessed then she gets possessed again then she's i think possessed for days at one point i i don't know oh sorry rob yeah i don't know where we are in the rundown well i mean but i'm frustrated <laughs> by it god damn it eventually she figures out that harrison ford might have had something to do with this despite his objections <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 that's what you know there's there's that part where if she real she kind of like she has all the 
clues in place. Like we know who the ghost is. We know it's this missing girl. We know it was Harrison Ford had an affair with her. And then she's like, did you have anything to do with the disappearance? And he goes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, oh, and then he's like, yeah, because, uh, you know, I saw her like run off or something and then she disappeared. So she probably killed herself. And like, oh, okay. So no. And then they just so the like move was on. No. <laughs> and then I feel like that was the third or fourth time where I checked the the playtime and it was like forty minutes left. <laughs> what? Yeah, it sounds I, about I right. I thought there'd be like ten. Why are there not ten minutes left? Why is she not gone already? Uh, and then there's this kind of like, yeah, her piecing together the clues, going to Adamant Town, and finding the clue but she doesn't need the clues we know all this it's just so strange and also again like i've said before they they show you this in the trailer like there's a part in the trailer (laughs) where she's like trailer (laughs) yeah (laughs) well also like i i watched like uh ebert and uh roper put this on their like worst of the year list oh wow and I watched the clip and they were like, yeah, like th- they showed the scene where she was like, you had an affair with this girl and now she's haunting us. And he was like, this was in the like PR package that the studio <laughs> sent. Like, so there was no suspense for more than half the movie. Like, We knew all this was going to happen. And so there's just like, uh, yes, the last kind of sequence, which we'll talk about, has suspense the way it's filmed. But it, it kind of like every time they set up a, a situation that could have suspense, they kind of like render it inert somehow you know what i mean i yeah. but i but i love zemeckis's directing here and there like the he he does finally prick her with the the toxin that paralyzes her and she's crawling away and the the camera goes forward and then underneath the floor to show him speaking to her ear and it's it's that sort of stuff that like we're not supposed to be seeing it this way that gives you that like little bit of eeriness to it that i really loved in his direction i just wish there was less of the whole movie (laughs) to make those parts pop yeah yeah Yeah. well yeah and then so finally is the is the bathtub scene which we talked about where you know he's gonna drown her and she's paralyzed and she can't do it um my question is well we didn't even talk about like the that she catches him and he admits that he murdered her oh yeah Yeah. well yeah. yeah well yeah, he's like, but I my mean, job. It's, it's yeah. so funny. His excuse is, but my job. She's like, well, it's a life. Yeah. Anyway, she was gone. There was nothing I could do. So I, I put her in her car and I, I drove to the boat ramp. And I rolled it out into the lake. I made a terrible mistake. I know that. But tell me, Claire. Sacrifice everything, our marriage, my work, which I spent my whole life on. And there's so much in this movie that, like, there's so many extra details that I just find, like, you know, I, I guess in a good movie would help sort of texture it. But in this movie, just sort of, like, bogs it down. Like, there's all that stuff about his father, who he's, like, in the shadow of and, you know, discovered something and he's not quite as good. And that never comes up. And his her, like, musician ex-husband that, you know, we find out about, that never comes up again. We never see the all red herrings. Yeah, Yeah. it's all red herrings. Like there's there's a moment where she drops the photograph and it shatters, and then she puts it up, and the camera lingers on the name of the person who took the photo. And I was like, 
Who was that? Is that going to come back? <laughs> I read in the IMDb trivia that's just the the guy who took the photo for the film. <laughs> it's like the actual crew member. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess they're trying to throw us off, but um, it does... Uh, it's just, it's not an Easter egg if it's front and center. But God what I thought was it. interesting was, so the bathtub scene, before the bathtub scene happens, there are several scenes where she sees the bathtub filled up right to the brim with water and presumably the ghost is doing this to like send some sort of message to her does the ghost know that this is what her husband is going to do is that like how does the ghost know that does the ghost have a delorean is this part of some (laughs) shared zemeckis verse (laughs) is time travel <laughs> Don't Hop be silly, board. Rob. The ghost is Forrest Gump. <laughs> uh, why run when you could take the Polar Express? Uh, it's just like all connected. Yeah, no, it's weird. Also, the tub is filled up past the overflow. Yes, thing. You which have is... to plug that. Yeah, and they don't. Yeah. So that whole scene is kind we of. We know how bathtubs work. Moot. Yeah. Also, like, I don't know this for sure, but it's a, a giant house. I would be surprised if there wasn't a second bathroom. Maybe start using the not haunted bathroom. <laughs> yeah, but it only has a shower. shower. Yeah. Take I don't want to stand up to clean myself. I like myself. to relax. God damn I like it. a good bath, you know, get some candles out, watch a movie. Not this one. <laughs> That's the other thing. You know, uh, Zemeckis kept saying, like, this was supposed to be his Hitchcock movie. The kind of thing he kept saying in interviews was, like, I want to do a Hitchcock movie, but, like, if Hitchcock had access to digital technology, like today's technology, which, A, no one ever had that complaint about a Hitchcock movie. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I wish Hitchcock had, had a Palm Pilot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also, everything about this movie feels, like, picked apart from Hitchcock movies, except for the the dumbest parts in a way. Like, I mean, the rear window stuff, obviously. And then at a certain point, they're like, well, Hitchcock's famous for shower scenes. Like, can we throw something together with a bath? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Homage. And then, like, Ebert kind of called him out for this in his review because he said, like, you know, in all the press, he's saying, like, Hitchcock, Hitchcock, Hitchcock. But, like, Hitchcock, like, hated supernatural stories like he never would have done a straight up ghost story like he would have had like what you were describing blaine where like it turned out it was the husband the whole time or something so even that idea or even this kind of like presentation of like this is like a modern hitchcock movie it doesn't ultimately feel like that yeah and also also i think the the digital tricks they did were i don't know bad Sometimes unnecessary, like like the floor thing you said is cool, but that is a Hitchcock shot. Like he exactly. did that in the twenties. He didn't have like the CG thing where you see the floorboards before they swap it for a glass floor or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like the the core element of it is not does not need digital trickery. If that makes no. sense, mm-hmm. no, no, no. And you could have literally done that shot with without digital trickery too like because there was a carpet right in the way so i felt like i didn't even know it was digital because i was like how did they do that and i thought that they just pulled the carpet back and that was a trap door to go under but, oh yeah uh, but you didn't need the digital it's just yeah it's a little superfluous but that you, tub scene harrison ford was totally cgi you, <laughs> he refused to come on set so yeah that, i mean that was cool yeah <laughs> but but the tub scene I still, I mean, some of it's stupid, like Harrison Ford getting up and then falling back down and then disappearing. I was like, did he crawl out? Did he, like, 
army man shuffle out? Like, <laughs> why didn't he just stand up? Well, he probably has um, brain damage. He was the ghost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I loved the the toe trying to grab the plug, the um, yeah. cord uh, turning off the thing. Like, all that stuff was just, I thought, very, very yeah. in, ingenious. And it felt like someone else wrote it. Like, it came from a different movie. Like, I, it felt like almost someone, like, wrote that in a different movie. And they were like, we should put that in this movie. That's where it belongs. <laughs> we should say, like, it's because he dosed her with the serum that we all knew he was going to because they spent several minutes describing its <laughs> effects and the types of uh, animals it, <laughs> it works on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So she couldn't move, and she had to, like, regain her movement uh, through her pinky toes, kind of like Kill Bill. Duh. But it is, a, it is a good sequence, especially because, like, any of us that has, has actually had a bath, like, has probably done that. <laughs> Out of laziness? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not out of fear. <laughs> well, and then the last sequence is, so she gets away, but Harrison Ford sort of jumps uh, on the boat that's being trailed by the truck and so uh, gets her and sort of gets in the truck and then they sort of go off the road going through the ghost. They run They run over the ghost. I, at least I think that was a ghost. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Jody. <laughs> <laughs> but then they go off into the uh, lake, and they end up in the car right over the same place where the other car has been driven off, where the woman's body is. And then there's this thing where, like, the boat mass sort of comes down and sort of disturbs the body, so it floats back up. And then, I don't know if this is real or what's happening, but it seems to grab Harrison Ford and keep him keep him down there so he drowns while Michelle Pfeiffer uh, can escape and he dies and, and that's you know her revenge she, the ghost's revenge yeah and then she goes and puts flowers on the girl's grave and walks away and that's the end of the movie we don't get to see the daughter that went to college like oh she never talks to her again dead. <laughs> yeah, like what's going on <laughs> I can't explain this I'm just gonna cut contact <laughs> <laughs> ghosts yeah there was like very little ending it was so long and it didn't have an ending yeah i feel I like just... there should have been like a denouement like yeah you know we should have found out that she was doing all right with her life or something like that maybe she's playing the cello again that would be yeah. something like she's you know, oh, back yeah. to herself jesus <laughs> anyway yeah. Or the ghost of her husband is like now married to the ghost of of Madison who Harrison Ford killed. <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> I would have been happy. I don't know. Ghost men yeah, are yeah. pigs. <laughs> ghost men. They never are return pigs. your calls. It's awful. Okay, yeah. well that was the movie. We're gonna be back with trivia, some behind the scenes stuff after this break. 
We just talked about everything that happened in that movie. Man, it's weird. It feels like both nothing happened and too much happened at the same time in this movie. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Yeah, the pacing's all off. It's just all off. Okay, I got some trivia for you guys. Okay. Oh, let's hit us with it. All right. So remember the daughter that they drop off at college who never comes back? Hey, yeah. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's played by a woman who's the daughter of a famous screenwriter in real life. She's the daughter of a famous screenwriter. Name that screenwriter. Is it, what's his name? Robert Town? Is that it? It is Robert Town. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. How did you know that? I saw her last name was Town. <laughs> oh, you cracked the code. Yeah, and I know that in Tinseltown, one way to get your foot in the door is by having a famous parent. I was thinking about that the other day. That, <laughs> the only uh, way. That his most famous screenplay is Chinatown, and it's weird, like, you wonder if it started out where he was writing about, like, a family member named China, <laughs> <laughs> and it slowly became the classic film we all know. Well, he's lucky that is, yeah, Catherine's lucky that she didn't end up being Chinatown. <laughs> right? People would keep forgetting her. <laughs> okay, question number two. I mentioned it was a big hit movie, but can you guess the budget for this movie? Hmm. You know, it's not that... It's set in one house primarily. There's some effects, but I, I could, I mean, I could see it being made for like forty-five to fifty million dollars. Okay, Rob, what about you? There, Price is right rules. There are <laughs> some, going over. There are some scenes where Rob Zemeckis just puts in CG for no reason, like when that corpse comes back to life, and there's other stuff too. So I'm going to say two hundred million. <laughs> <laughs> okay, keeping in mind that's what like the Avengers cost. Yeah. Okay. I'll say one hundred million. Wait, what did you say? What? I'll say whatever Blade said plus one dollar. Price is right rules. Okay, well you win <laughs> either way bitch. because amazingly enough, the budget was one hundred million dollars. Holy fuck. Jesus. And to put that in God, perspective, they could have put fifty million dollars towards cancer or something. <laughs> Jesus, and just I, I, you know, I tried looking it up. I couldn't find how they allocated the budget. I mean, not that that would be available online, but I thought there might Pose. be some kind of explanation. Like, By was Pose. it just the cast? Was it those digital effects? But like to put things in perspective, we should say this was shot during a break for Castaway. Like mm. they had to. It feels like it was shot during a break. <laughs> they had to wait while Tom Hanks grew a beard and lost weight for the time jump in Castaway. Oh, okay. So I guess so they wouldn't be rusty, like Robert Zemeckis and the same crew just like basically got a house and Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer and made this movie <laughs> in the interim. And then and then they were like done the movie and editing this movie while they resumed Castaway. But like to put that to put the hundred million dollar price tag for this movie in perspective, Castaway, the movie that they were actually trying to make, that they just made this during a break of that film, Castaway cost $90 million. It cost $10 million less than this movie. What? Uh, there was a plane crash in that movie. I know, right? And another big blockbuster that came out that year was X-Men, came out in 2000. That cost $75 million. And so many more stars. So many more like salaries to pay on that one. Well, too. I mean, it had a lot stars, of effects. Yeah, yeah they weren't stars. Yeah. Well, I guess some of them were, but I, I just don't... It boggles the mind. Like, hardly... Any, was, is Wendy Crewson that expensive? Like, well, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's so, stupid. That's stupid. It makes me hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Last question. What horror movie performance inspired Michelle Pfeiffer while she was making this? Freddy Krueger. Was it Freddy Krueger? No, go on. I'm going to say maybe... Rosemary's Baby. Oh, that's a good guess. That's incorrect. Damn it. Is it going to be a Hitchcock? No. No, more recent than Hitchcock. I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you got there, Jam? What is it? Well, according to TCM, she was inspired, like her scenes where she had to be super afraid and panicky, she was inspired by Drew Barrymore in Scream. Oh. oh. Yeah. That's nice. That's nice. I sure. mean, that's, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Sure. <laughs> well, but I mean, I mean, usually like older actresses wouldn't take like mentorship or inspiration from a younger actress necessarily i think there's like a you know Mm -hmm. sort of like you respect seniority but not like you know a great performance by a junior actor that's true but she'd been acting for a long time yeah that's true yeah she's probably like she was like (laughs) two months she's she's an old veteran compared to michelle pfeiffer right (laughs) (laughs) we mentioned earlier this movie was uh the screenplay was written by clark gregg who's famous for playing agent colson in the the marvel series that's crazy yeah and also he's in lots of stuff he was in uh state in maine and sure uh, oh yeah stuff he's another good actor you're a good actor yeah, but I his feel bad. Stop. I mean, I don't know bad. I don't know if I feel bad for him or good don't for him. Don't feel bad for him. I mean, he's got like, you know, he's had a career out of playing like one guy for the last almost 15 years or whatever. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be a bit boring, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, he seems like an interesting guy and he's a good actor. And I guess he just like written a few scripts. Like there was an interview with him uh, recently for the 20th anniversary. And he was basically said he would just wanted to do something other than acting. And he wrote a few scripts and someone gave him this job. It was Sarah Kernochin. Is hmm. that how you pronounce it? I'm not sure who's uh, like a, a famous documentarian. I think she even won an Oscar for one of her documentaries. Oh. But she was also a screenwriter. She wrote nine and a half weeks and, oh. uh, and Summersby strike a few things. And, uh, she wrote kind of a, I don't know if she wrote a whole script or just a treatment, but like a more personal thing. I, I, I have been trying to find some more information on it. I, I couldn't find that much, but it basically, what I saw was that she had like a real life experience that inspired her to write the story about a retired couple that uh, are are helped by friendly ghosts. Uh, yeah, so, something that doesn't sound that much like this movie. She still has a story credit, but basically Clark Gregg had written a few scripts and like a friend at a studio was like, you know, Spielberg or Zemeckis are kind of circling around this. Do you want to rewrite it as a, a thriller? And this is what he did. And in the interview he just did, he basically said like, yeah, I, I haven't even seen it since it, since the premiere. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> because he said, like, you know, you just kind of see the faults in it. So, But he said he might revisit it for the anniversary. So, I don't know. I got what... seven Marvels to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> busy man. Yeah. Shield keeps he, like, busy. he died in one of them. And then he just keeps <laughs> popping back. And uh, they brought him back somehow for the TV show. Said DeLorean. Said DeLorean again. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's the, it the DeLorean driving uh, phantom from this movie. <laughs> there was, like I said, there were a few articles this month talking about this movie or, or, you know, just kind of revisiting it. There was, I thought, kind of an interesting article on The Ringer 
basically singling out this movie as as a worthwhile picture just because it's interesting to see Harrison Ford as a villain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he does a good job. Well, like when he turns full villain, like it, it, it's cartoony in the context of the movie, but it it does make you think like he could be. You wish he did more varied roles, like he would play kind of a, a heavy character more often. I don't know. What do you guys mm-hmm. think? Did you think he was? He kind of goes full Jack Torrance in the end of this thing, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't love his performance, and I thought that I would, but I also sort of. I mean, I think it's a good performance and he gives a lot of depth to it, but I don't know if it's like very effective as like a horror villain sort of thing. Like he doesn't become scary or even like menacing, I don't think. I feel like he's very like in the like, I don't know, emotional place. So I, I found that kind of like, mm, you know, I don't know. What about you, Blaine? I I mean, I think I agree with you, Rob. The, the interesting thing about his acting is that he you know he acts versions of harrison ford like i don't know how different han solo is from indiana jones uh in terms of like his acting style um (laughs) and in those roles him being a little like kooky with his face or like jutty with his movements is kind of fun and personable and makes you appreciate the characters a little bit more because they're like he's not like this totally perfect guy he has some sort of comedic aspect to him but in this movie like him falling again once he gets back up from hitting his head on the tub it like there's so many different parts of it where it he just seems funny instead (laughs) of instead of like harrowing so i yeah i it's a it's a good performance i think it's just it's just i can't not see him I can't, like, not kind of try to laugh with him at things. Yeah. I do like Harrison Ford for the rest of the movie where he's not evil. Like, when he's just sort of, like, being retired with um, Michelle Pfeiffer, I find it, like, kind of fun. Like, oh, hey, they're getting Randy and, uh, yeah, that's nice. They they still got some spark in them, you know? Mm-hmm. I find that. I found that fine. But, yeah, I, I don't know about him as, like, the villain. What, what did you think, J.M.? I thought, you know, I I did like him at times as the villain or as the kind of like shitty guy because he has that charm because he can turn Mm -hmm. on the Harrison Ford charm, but then he also can play different notes of that and and turn it into something menacing. I mean, I don't think the writing fully supports the performance. I, I will say I think I think this is totally accidentally, but I think that the the particular character he's playing here does kind of create something interesting in terms of like the meta aspect of the Harrison Ford character, because the things he actually does in this movie sort of inadvertently uh, comment on his past roles. Like, I mean, he's very famous for the fugitive and like, I didn't kill my wife and the whole third act is him trying to kill his wife, which is kind of funny. (laughs) And then the other thing is, like, it's always been implied and it was, you know, cut out of the movie ultimately, but it's it's sort of very subtly hinted at that Indiana Jones seduces his students. So to have a whole movie that's like a horror movie where he seduced and then murdered a student because he's, you know, a professor in this movie, I I thought was kind of this weird but interesting – you know, this this attempt to kind of turn the Harrison Ford archetype into something toxic and menacing, I, mm-hmm. I thought was 
kind of cool, but I'm doing more work than the movie did to like <laughs> find that nugget of of, of gold. I, I don't know, but I, I think it's not without value, but I don't know if the movie itself is successful in a vacuum of the movie, if that makes sense. Like, like when I, I, when I saw it first, I didn't really talk about this, but I remember being disappointed by the fact that like half the movie is a red herring and the other half of the movie is just a, a pretty dull ghost story. And I'd seen so many people talking about, you know, revisiting this movie 20 years later. I thought maybe like you, Blaine, maybe like there was something in it that I missed or, or you know, because it was also, like we said, it was targeted at an older age group. So mm-hmm. like I'm closer to Michelle Pfeiffer's age now than I was when I was a kid, obviously. Every day. S- yeah, every day I'm getting closer and closer <laughs> until I send my kids off to college and they're like, I'm seven. I'm like, be quiet. <laughs> Grow up so fast. But I still didn't find that much to latch on to here. I still found yeah. it kind of frustrating. And yeah. partly because it should be so good. Like, it's Robert Zemeckis, who's a mm-hmm. great director. And the whole final sequence, I think, is well done and, and you know, really milks that suspense. But, like, the whole rest of the movie, I see we've got Robert Zemeckis, we've got a great cast, we've got this, you know, beautiful setting that's, that's prime for, like, a, a Hitchcock kind of thriller, but it just doesn't ever gel like it yeah it feels like a movie that they made on an extended lunch break than, <laughs> than a passion project yeah i hear you i think that, that like that that sequence at the end very very good it yeah i mean it just michelle pfeiffer really gives this movie a run for its money too like i think she does a wonderful job um mm. and it's really you don't you don't agree yeah with i don't know i mean I we we talked about Michelle Pfeiffer in Wolf a few months ago back at Halloween and like in this mo- movie she's just so like fragile and I mean I know that's what her character is but I found it just like really hard to care for a protagonist who seems so like ineffectual like interesting like everything's like right in front of her face and she can't figure out the mystery like you know she I, I felt I, I think of, that's the character, though. Yeah, and I and I felt that was yeah. part of like her. I I totally get what you're saying, but like you can look at it another way, where the ghost kind of helps her find herself. Where the ghost is like, you you can be badass. You can be like <laughs> this this person that solves this and brings it together and like to save yourself. Um, whereas you get a groove I back. couldn't. Yeah, like the ghost is literally inhabits her body to make her like seduce her own husband at one point and to try to kill him and uh inhabits her body another time to do more things uh to like plunge her into the water which she's afraid of. Like there's a whole bunch of different things that like I feel like the ghost is almost pushing her out of her comfort zone and and making her like I I kind of like that aspect of it, but for two and a half hours of this movie she is really really fragile i don't know how long this movie is i think it's four hours um but she's really (laughs) really fragile so i get what you're saying that like the she's i just feel like that's a script problem and not an acting problem i mean maybe for me anyway But I think you're right. I mean, like, it should have been more like, I mean, they imply that he was like, because he's like this fragile man who felt like he could never live up to his father, that he, you know, pushed his career to the detriment of hers. He, you know, kind of made her quit her, her musical career, like all of these things like, yeah, are paving the way for like, him to be not only 
this shitty husband and murderer but like maybe yeah it's like some kind of like it needs to be more like gaslight or something like mm-hmm. I, I don't know you know what you know what okay here here's a quick rewrite and <laughs> you know Sorry, i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to second second guess clark greg but here's an idea we've got this rear window set up right where she thinks the neighbor killed his wife don't have the neighbors be brand new neighbors. Have them be there for a while. Have her be investigating the guy the whole time. The wife's disappeared. Everything's the same. But in the end, somehow she figures out that the neighbor is innocent and that Harrison Ford was having an affair with the neighbor and that he's the murderer in that mm-hmm. way. Then you could tie it all together and you don't have it to just feel like a waste of time. Yeah, like I kind of thought like my first thought when i saw the neighbor i was like oh she's gonna hate him they're gonna clash the the rebar guy remar remar james remar yeah. yeah sorry sturdy actor um and so she when she saw him and like interacted with him it was bad but then i thought like maybe when harrison ford died she would have had interactions with this man and like come to like enjoy his company maybe and maybe his wife was murdered but not by him and he's trying to find her and it was harrison ford that murdered like yeah it would have just been a better thing or like he like comes shows up and like you know saves the day or does something crucial or helps her at some point you like even the friend jody doesn't show up again like i kind of expected her to be like you know rubbed out for no good reason no this is like (laughs) if there was a yeah this is like the loose threads the movie it's just (laughs) Which is like, you know, it, it's like, like yeah, you, you expect like Jody, the quirky best friend to like get killed, you know, just before the third act or something, which is would maybe make it obvious or more cliche. But on the other hand, like those things are obvious or, and cliche because, you know, filmmakers throw those things in to keep you interested. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and and it, this didn't have that. It just kind of like, yeah, it had an exciting finish, but it just kind of lumbered towards it. We already knew Harrison Ford was the bad guy and... And, like, why didn't they go to the police after she found out that they had an affair? Like, uh, yeah. The the worst part about this is that the uh, – no, it's it's one of the bad things about it is that all the marketing people spoil the entire movie. And this movie still made $300 million. So, like, it worked. Yeah. Let's keep spoiling <laughs> movies. Well, so, you know, before, like, the, the sort of new golden age of television, movies just had to be like, hey, here's two people you like. I don't know. It's a ghost or something. Just get out of your house and go see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So did you think it was rewatchable, Rob? No. No. <laughs> it was really long. And... uh <laughs> And I wasn't that interested in the things that happened. I, I think intellectually, I think it kind of is interesting. Like when you put all the details together, you can be like, okay, there's enough flesh in here to make a good story. But I don't think it necessarily presents it in a way that is engaging. And I like movies that are slow and ponderous and, you know, where you have to sort of pay lots of attention and get all the clues and sort of put it together a bit yourself. But this one was just boring, and I just – I couldn't keep engaged. I really found it hard to keep engaged until the bathtub scene, and then I, then I was there, you know. But uh, that's, that was at, like, the one hour and 50-minute mark, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, and I agree with you. Like, everything you try to put together kind of slams in your face, being like, ha-ha, this was absolutely nothing. This meant nothing. Well, like, yeah, well, at then- that point, you're not even going to try. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It becomes boring because you're not invested or reward us. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Jam? Nope. Okay, I I feel the exact same way. No, yeah, I like again, like they 
had all the ingredients to make something great. And yeah, like you said, like there's, it's not like a red herring where it feels like, you know, a red herring has to distract you or misdirect you in the service of like a different story or a twist or something else that's going to come from mm-hmm. a different direction and lead you down a path <laughs> you didn't expect that, that is fulfilling. A red herring isn't just like something that you drop halfway through and then something boring kind of slowly <laughs> develops in its wake. You know what I mean? Like there's the, uh, yeah, this just felt like it felt like a, uh, a small idea that they tried to expand in a, into a, a, a long, long movie and, and the things that they padded it out with are just so unnecessary and, it's bad. It's a bad movie. I don't know I, why the people that like it like it. I, you know, if people do like it and think we're wrong, please, you know, write us or tweet at us. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't. I don't get it. I or I really, I really love what you said there, Jam, because I think that's what that's the fault of this movie is that it needed like seven more drafts. Like it, it because when she's investigating, we should be shown these things that we along her investigation lines that then come back later, like the phone on the bridge that needs to get to a certain part on the bridge to be able to phone. <laughs> like that's just put in a, in a whole scene by itself so that, you know, that's the only thing that yeah. happens in that scene where it should have been in an investigative scene. So we don't really pay attention to it. It's just part of the investigation. And then when it comes back, we're like, Oh, I remember that instead of like, I had that written on my face by the director. <laughs> so like, I couldn't have forgotten yeah. it if I wanted to. So yeah, yeah they might as, the again, they might as well have had Chris Farley come out and be like, when you get to this part of the bridge, <laughs> cell phone comes, <laughs> reception's good over here. Not so good. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out. About the river, my van's down there. Don't <laughs> knock it in. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I I totally agree with you that it, it I just needed to fold all these scenes into each other more and more and more until it was an hour and a half and we could stomach it. Yeah, anyway. they should have gotten some of the other future Marvel stars to to, to give it another pass, like Robert Downey Jr. He could have taken a stab at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Brie Larson, uh, any of these people. Could slice it up a bit. He's not part of the Marvel Universe, Rob. Oh, shit. I forgot. (laughs) Didn't they make that work somehow? No? Nope. Oh, man. (sighs) I don't know. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Without Hugh Jackman, it's nothing. (laughs) I mean, all right. That's that should do it. Before Rob says says something that gets us in trouble with the Marvel people. <laughs> Thank Mark you so Greg much for listening. Oh my god. I hope he does. He might be recruiting us for something. <laughs> you can find more episodes at rewatchability.com. You can follow us on Twitter at rewatchability or like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash rewatchability, patreon.com slash rewatchability, and until next time check your, you know, Lakefront properties for corpses. That's <laughs> oh, all geez. I can say. <laughs> Good advice. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.